Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It is Prediction Tuesday for week five of the college football season. If you're new here, welcome. This is the Hard Count College Football only college football every single day live in living color as we are right now on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, 11 a.m. Eastern. But Tuesday today is our prediction day. Week four was phenomenal. Movie of a slate. We knew it'd be a movie. We knew it'd be awesome. We got down to Clemson, South Carolina, saw an overtime battle between Florida State and Clemson. We saw Notre Dame, Ohio State come down to the final play. But this week five slate now, sneaky. It's sneaky, and guess what else? It's deep. So deep, in fact, that I don't think we have time to go through every single game that we want to go through today. We were going to predict Duke and Notre Dame today, but we're actually going to have to push that to tomorrow because Dan Lanning made some noise yesterday talking about, I guess, rather the, the way that his team didn't want to make noise going into that game against Colorado. So we got some thoughts on that. But like I said, it is Tuesday, September 26, 2023, Prediction Tuesday, the last Prediction Tuesday of week five of the 2023 college football season that we're going to get in history. So let's make it an absolute great one. Thank you for being tuned in. Florida at Kentucky, going to break that one down. We got USC going to Colorado. Colorado now not feeling great today with the way that the Oregon cinematic recap turned out and some of the things that are being said about them today. How do they respond? USC, I don't know if uh, a lot of y'all stayed up to watch that one. Arizona State actually gave USC some issues defensively. So, Where are we at there in Los Angeles? Where are we at on the defensive side of things in Los Angeles? Well, we're going to find out when they go on the road and play a really good Colorado offense. Give you our pick on that one. LSU going to Ole Miss. This is a game that will have a massive impact on who ends up representing the West in Atlanta. Cannot wait to break that one down. Then Tennessee going to South Carolina. Excuse me. South Carolina going to Tennessee, rather. South Carolina going to Neyland Stadium at night. Tennessee, they went to South Carolina last year, and South Carolina spoiled their college football playoff hopes. Tennessee, I promise you, they've had this one circled for a minute now. South Carolina, I think, is actually a better football team than what you saw last season, regardless of what their record says right now. So I can't wait to watch that one and break that one down for y'all as well. We have a ton of predictions to get to, a ton to unpack as a whole when it comes to this show. Before we get to these predictions, though, I want to circle back to what I alluded to at the top of this show, and that is kind of the noise that surrounds the Oregon football team today after that cinematic recap, uh, excuse me, after that cinematic recap came out as it pertains to Dan Lanning and Oregon and what they are. So to kind of preface this whole thing, Dan Lanning, was asked yesterday about a, a statement that was made on a very popular morning show, Undisputed, Skip Bayless, essentially saying that Dan Laning had a malintent towards the Colorado team with the way that his team, you know, I don't want to say ran it up. I don't think that's the word you would use, but he's going for two. They're running fake punts when they're up. Like there was a, from the outside looking in, a, a feeling from Undisputed, at least from Skip Bayless, that Dan Laning had a a personal issue with Colorado. And I love so much what Dan Lanning said, to paraphrase, essentially he was like, listen, uh, you guys got to see a couple of clips pregame 
of what I had to say to my team to get them fired up. But to be real, like y'all, y'all were on the outside looking in. You were looking into the house from the window. You're not in the house. I'm in the house 100% of the time. And I know how my team felt going into that game. And it's my job to motivate our team to be ready to go win football games. And so as a whole, in his response to that, he was like, listen, I understand, you know, that's fine, but I don't agree. I have no issue with that. Uh, you know, I, I don't have any other thoughts I'm giving towards that statement, essentially saying we're keeping it in-house. We're turning on the noise. We played how we played and I motivate my team, how I motivate my team. So first of all, I'd play for Dan Lanning tomorrow. All right. I, I would I would pack up my things and go run down on kickoff for Dan Lanning in Eugene, Oregon tomorrow, because I think there's sort of this idea around what a player's coach is like in terms of our public perception of college football coaches, we think a player's coach is a coach who lets the players, you know, wear uh, just shorts and a jersey on a Wednesday practice, takes the pads off and make sure that they're healthy. It's a guy who cancels practice during fall camp and surprises them with a water balloon fire or whatever it is. And I have no issue with that. I think that can be in the category of a player's coach, but make it very, very clear, having been in locker rooms, a player's coach, is a coach who is for the players in the sense that he will publicly go and defend them and speak on behalf of them and is plugged in enough and understands where that team's coming from to go and defend them in the way that Dan Lanning is defending his football team and defended his football team in that press conference yesterday. And I, I referenced that cinematic recap because I think going into the game, there was this feeling that Colorado's being disrespected, Colorado's not getting any love in Colorado's this, Colorado's that. And then we see different clips from that cinematic recap that the Oregon creative team put out, which was phenomenal, by the way. And there is quotes of Colorado players talking very personal trash pregame to Oregon at the 50, to, to Oregon at the 50 yard line. You have Colorado players stomping on the O. You have a lot of just very personal things from the Colorado side of things being directed towards Oregon. And I want to say this too, I don't have an issue with that either because it's football, all right? Like essentially between those white lines, it's war. Anything goes. However you want to conduct yourself, you are well within your rights to do so. So I'm not telling you what Colorado should or shouldn't do, but going back to what Dan Lanning said, if you're in the Oregon locker room, you feel it's some type of way about how that thing went leading up to that game. So when you have a chance now to make it personal within the game, when you have a chance to make it personal and go for two to to make a statement with your pads as Dan Lanning would say I loved it and I love that my coach is giving us an opportunity to go and make that statement that he's calling a fake punt on on within our 20 yard line that we're going for two when we're up like that's what I think talking with your pads and letting your game talk essentially is and I think that's what a player's coach is now I want to make sure we say this too we said this on our Sunday recap but I know a lot of y'all just tune into the podcast or maybe you tune into just the live show Teams take on the persona of their leadership. And what Dan Lanning is at Oregon right now, he is, like I said, substance, like he said, actually, is what he said pregame, rooted in substance. They are tough. They are physical. And also, here's the thing with Oregon. They're not worried about anybody besides Oregon. They're not worried about the headlines around Colorado. They're not worried about the headlines around USC or Washington or what else is going on with the Pac-12 and all that. Like, they're worried about them. And when you're able to keep the main thing the main thing, all great leaders, all great teams are able to just kind of dial back the external noise and keep it all in-house. And I think that's what Dan Lanning specializes in. And I think that's where his team is at psychologically. And I think that's dangerous for the rest of college football. Because the way they're built from a roster standpoint, 
you got one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I feel pretty confident saying that. I think a lot of us got to see that this past weekend. You have two lines of scrimmage that absolutely made Colorado tap out. Like, we'll talk more about the Colorado-USC matchup here in just a little bit, so I don't want to get too ahead of myself. But Oregon ran power, excuse me, they ran power till their heart was content. Like, there was this also this narrative that Colorado was being ganged up on from other coaches helping Oregon game plan. Like, y'all, if you go and watch that game, there was nothing unique about Oregon's game plan. It was, we're running power run right, power run left. So I'll just say this, whether that's true or not, I promise you Dan Landing didn't need any extra help getting his scheme together for that game. It was pretty straightforward. We're going to run the ball at you, and when you try and overcompensate for that, then we'll throw the ball, and there's nothing you can do. Also, defensively, we're just going to kind of dominate you there. Like the big human beings were the difference. That's not to talk down on Colorado. I just want to make sure we have this clear. There, there's nothing negative against Colorado in this segment. I think more so just to kind of clear the air about what's true about that game and what's true about Oregon right now and what's true about Dan Lanning. Because Oregon is going to be a factor here in the Pac-12 title race. I feel very confident in saying that. I feel very confident they'll be a, a factor when it comes to the college football playoff race. So they made a statement with their pads. And I love what Dan Lanning had to say in response to all the statements being made about his football team yesterday in that press conference. So Oregon, a verified program in every sense of the word. And Dan Lanning, one of the original program guys, without question. So that was Oregon, and that was kind of what I wanted to make sure we touched on this morning because all of college football Twitter, really since that cinematic recap dropped last night, kind of felt like there was a, uh, an eye-opening feel to it with how Colorado conducted themselves leading up to that game and the way that Oregon felt internally. Also, quick note, the fact that the hard count gets featured in different hype videos or cinematic recaps like we were fortunate enough to be in in that Oregon cinematic recap that we were referencing a second ago, that's a testament to y'all. Like, of course, we're going to talk about it on here, and we're grateful to be featured in it, and we'll retweet it, and we'll make sure that we uh, appreciate the Oregon creative team for that. But it, I mean, they're not featuring that if y'all aren't boosting it on the YouTube and on the podcast platforms, subscribing and telling people. So that's testament to what's being done here, absolutely. But I think it's testament to what y'all have done and pushed this thing forward. So thank you so much for that. We do not take that for granted. And uh, we feel very fortunate and very lucky to have a community like y'all that are allowing us to get that done. So thank you. Like I said, though, it's Prediction Tuesday, man. It's Prediction Tuesday. So we got to kind of get down to brass tacks here. We got a lot of games to get into. Let's start with the noon kick. We got Florida at Kentucky. Kentucky is favored by two and a half. And Kentucky's had a nice little run here against Florida the last couple of years. So for Florida, if they're able to win this game, think about the feather in the cap that would be for Billy Napier. And think about the measuring stick this would be for Billy Napier as a whole with his time at Florida. Because we said this in the offseason, we've kind of always felt like it's always been too soon to make any definitive statement on Billy Napier as a head coach at Florida. This is going to be a very pivotal year for us to get more data on him and understand what he's going to be as a head coach at Florida. And if you beat Kentucky at Kentucky, a, a team that you've had trouble with the last couple of years, a team that came to the swamp and beat you last year, I think that would say a lot about the direction that they're headed. For Kentucky now, if you're going to make some noise in the East, if you're going to be that team that challenges Georgia, that game is going to be primetime now in Athens. We already found out that Kentucky-Georgia game is going to have a, a lot of spotlight on it. If you're going to be a team that makes that kind of noise, starts in this game. Starts in this game with just your, your first real test, to be honest, of the Devin Leary era. 
And uh, no knock on Vanderbilt or the other teams they've played. This is just going to be the best competition they've played against. So Coach Stoops sort of put out the call to action when asked about the kickoff time at his press conference. He said, I have tremendous confidence that our fans can get up early and pound some beers. So expect it to be rowdy for a noon kick and expect Kentucky's fan base to be out in full effect. So excited to break this one down for y'all. Excited to watch this one, man. I think one of the key matchups has got to be the Florida run game against that front seven of Kentucky. We've talked about Florida a fair amount on this show and predicted a fair amount of their big-time matchups they've had to this point in the year. And what do we always say with Florida? Everything they want to do offensively starts with running the football. That is their identity. Against Utah, they weren't really able to settle into that because Utah hit some big plays early, hit a big play early rather, and that kind of forced them out of rhythm. They want to control the game, and they want to keep this Kentucky defense off balance. The way that you saw it work against Tennessee is exactly the way that you want it to be against Kentucky. Now, the Kentucky front seven, again, have not played elite competition just yet, but they are giving up 2.3 yards of carry. That's good for number seven in the country. Translation, a movable object, meet unstoppable force, or you would hope an unstoppable force from what you saw against Tennessee if you're a Florida fan. Now, again, with Florida, if they can run the football, it's that domino effect, right? Everything that you want to have happen starts to fall into place. Game control sort of gets rolling a little bit. You're able to take time off the clock. You're able to sort of get that, that defense a little bit more windy because they're staying on the field so long. You extend drives. Also, the pass game starts to open up. I got to say this too. Put some respect on Graham Mertz's name, man. There was so much said about him coming from Wisconsin, going to Florida. There was a feeling like, man, that's really who they're taking through the portal. That's their guy. Dude, he's been phenomenal to this point. And I understand the game against Utah wasn't, you know, his best showing, but he had to throw the ball 44 times, and I thought still played well in that game. I say their best showing as a team, but I thought Graham Mertz still played relatively well. Against Tennessee, he played awesome. They need that kind of stat line he had against Tennessee in this kind of game. And you allow him to have that stat line if you run the football effectively. So if you run the football effectively and the pass game opportunities open up, then we need our wide receivers to win. Ricky Pearsall, looking right at you, brother. You are the alpha dog wide receiver in that room. Need you to separate. Need you to go make some more OBJ kind of catches where you're like reaching over with your front hand and just doing the crazy one-handed snag. Got to stick them on the fingers. Need that kind of effort from him. Need them to win one-on-one. That's crucial for Florida if the pass game does become available. But again, it all compounds on each other. The run game has to be there. Now, if Kentucky can be solid in the run game, if Kentucky can stick right around to that 2.3 yards of carry number they've shown so far this year in terms of what they've held opponents to, well, then you go back to that Utah game and you see Graham Mertz probably have that attempts number in the 30s, in the 40s. You don't want that if you're Florida. If you're Kentucky, you absolutely want that because that means you're forcing a lot of third and long, third and seven, third and eight. And when you can sit back there and you have a better feel for the obvious passing situation, Obviously, by nature of it being obvious passing down, your defense is better prepared to be aligned for success and just as a whole be able to get off the field, which is crucial for them in this game. So that's crucial to watch. A key matchup, the Florida run game against that Kentucky front seven. Now, another thing we got to watch in this game, Austin Armstrong, defensive coordinator for Florida, dialing it up against Devin Leary, the Kentucky quarterback. Now, When I say dial it up, I don't necessarily exclusively mean pressure. That could be a part of it. 
But I think for Devin Leary and for this Kentucky operation as a whole, man, they have so many weapons and they want to be a passing football team. They want to run the football, absolutely, but they are 54% pass on the year. They're pro style and they want to let Devin Leary cook. Devin Leary and these weapons are too talented to where if you just kind of play vanilla, they're going to pick you apart. Dane Key is going to get his. Barry and Brown is an explosive play waiting to happen. So if you just kind of sit back and try and keep it all in front of you and just kind of try and play honest and, and try not to make a mistake and try and not get exposed, like bad things are going to happen. You, you can't just be vanilla against Devin Leary and this offensive attack of Kentucky. You got to be exotic. You got to be creative. And if that's pressure, great. It could also just be disguising looks. It could also just be rock and rolling the safeties pre-snap and then going back to cover two when you were showing cover three. Like it could be something like that. But I'm just saying you have to be in some way, shape, or form, an operation that keeps Kentucky guessing. Have to keep them guessing. If you can confuse Devin Leary, or at least cause an acclimation period for Devin Leary early in this football game, well, then the Florida offense, what we say, they get to kind of wear on the defense, they get some more possessions to figure it out, and it will be paramount for Florida to be able to play with a lead. And if not play with a lead, at least play within a score. Have it be a three-point game. Have it be a four-point game. Whatever it is, that's where Florida wants to live. Game control for the way that Florida operates is enormous for them to win this football game, especially on the road. So, something to watch for in this game. I would not be surprised in the slightest if we saw Kentucky take a page out of Utah's playbook. And what I mean, not, not necessarily literally, I guess it could be literal, but remember Utah, first play of the game. They come out swinging, dial it up, deep pass, Money Parks gets in the end zone. Once you know already, it's 7-0 Utah. If Kentucky can hit on some explosive plays early, if they swing the bat a couple of times, Barry and Brown deep, Dane Key deep, Tavian Robbins, like whoever it is, whichever playmaker you want to talk about for Kentucky, then the entire defense for Florida gets off balance. Going back to what we just said, then Florida gets into chase mode. This Florida team, as good as they are, as good as that backfield is, as good as that front seven looked against Tennessee, they are not built to chase you. They are built to go in close proximity, wrestle with you. They, they, they don't want to get into a track meet. That's not how they're built. So for, for Kentucky, if they're able to hit on a couple of those, one, you put them in chase mode. And then two, with that Florida defense being off balance, maybe that box is a little bit lighter. Maybe those linebackers don't trigger quite as quickly. Maybe Ray Davis gets to eat a little bit. And at that point, everything's open to you if you're Kentucky. So here's what I think is going to happen in this game. I think the physicality of what Florida has up front on both sides of the football is going to travel. I don't think what we saw against Tennessee was a fluke. I think Tennessee didn't tackle well, but I do think Florida can run the football. I also think this defense for Florida is going to be aggressive. I do not think we see Austin Armstrong and that defense just kind of sit back, let the game come to you. Devin Leary will give you a chance to figure us out. Like I think it is all gas, no breaks. And I'm not talking about Steve Sarkeesian or Texas. I think it is... Pedal to the metal. We're playing with nothing to lose. Reckless abandon. Like Austin Armstrong says, we're going to run. We're going to hit. Like that's how Florida's going to get down in this football game. And if they can do that and be disruptive, we've talked about it here. That's advantage Florida every single time getting this defense going and getting that Kentucky offense a little bit out of sorts, which is tricky to do with Devin Leary. But I think it's possible for them. And I think it's, it's what's ultimately going to be the differentiator in this game. I think they're going to have to weather the storm. Do not be surprised if Kentucky gets out to a 7-0 lead. Do not be surprised if it is 10-3 at 
the half or whatever it ends up being. That wouldn't shock me. So for Florida, similar to what we saw against Tennessee in the swamp, you're going to have to just kind of not panic. Everybody be cool, be calm. We've been here before. Stick to our game plan, run the football, and just keep chopping and keep chipping away. So I think it's close. I think Devin Leary does have a good day. I think these, these Kentucky receivers do impact the game, but I think the run game, and going back to what I said, the physicality of Florida ends up being the difference. Graham Mertz plays efficient football. I think Florida ends up winning this game 28-24. to 24. And think of what that does for Billy Napier. Think of what that does for the conversation around Florida. We've already talked about what they are on the recruiting trail. And those kids that committed to Florida in the summer, they were committing to an operation that won six football games. that had an over-under win total in Vegas. You don't think beating Tennessee, and if they do beat Kentucky, what that would mean for them in terms of trajectory and what they can sell to recruits on the recruiting trail, like, I think that would be uh, some more rocket fuel for them. So we like Florida to obviously cover the plus two and a half. We like Florida to win outright. Cannot wait for that game. Going to be, uh, in a lot of ways, it could be a trajectory definer for Billy Napier and for this, and for this Florida football team in 2023. So that's how we feel about Florida and Kentucky, and that's going to be uh, it's going to be a good one, man. I mean, I, th- I think Mark Stoops putting out the call to action, saying, "Listen." I have, I have confidence in our fan base to, to get after it early in the morning. I, you know, it's noon kick. It's not a night game. We, we've never let our circumstances dictate our, our energy and our effort before. Why would this be any different? So that'll be a lot of fun. I cannot wait to watch how they show up for that game. Really quickly, man, I got to tell you about prize picks because I told you I sat right here on, I guess it was our Thursday show, and I said, listen, we've, we've kind of taken our lumps. We've had a second to try and get comfortable. We're getting more and more comfortable. And I, I, I promised you, I guaranteed, I said, we will have winners for you. We will have winners. If you tell us on prize picks, great. Do what you want to do, but we're giving out winners. And we absolutely did. So to kind of recap the week for you, we had Bucky Irving going for more than 80 and a half rushing yards against Colorado. He had 89. And he didn't even play, I don't think, very much the second half. We had Will Shipley more than a rushing touchdown. He did have a rushing touchdown. Also had a receiving touchdown early in the game, which made you a little bit like, ah, are they going to keep going to him? They did. Will Shipley got the more there. Rivaldo Fairweather, this one did not hit. We had him for more than 23 and a half receiving yards. He had five. Jason McClellan got a rushing touchdown for the more there for a rushing or receiving touchdown. Felt pretty good about that one going in. Keon Coleman had two receiving touchdowns. He only needed one receiving touchdown for us to hit on that square. So, as a whole, did we hit on all of them? No, but we told you. We are going to give you some winners. We gave you some winners. So, if you want to tail us here going forward, we're going to give out some more picks uh, this upcoming Thursday. On Thursday's show, same time, 11 a.m. Eastern. If you redeem code JD, prize picks, they're going to match you 100% of your deposit up to 100 bucks. So you say, J.D., I want a tail, but I, I only have $10 to put forward. That's fine. Go ahead and put that $10 down. Redeem code J.D. Prize picks, they'll match you. Another $10. We've got $20 to work with. Let's go. Just kind of get that snowball rolling. So we appreciate prize picks, and we appreciate y'all rolling with us. And, uh, again, tune in on Thursday because I don't think we're done giving out winners. Matter of fact, I know we're not. So thanks in advance for y'all for locking in. Make sure you're subscribed right now. Make sure you've already liked the video. And make sure you're dialed into everything going on right here on the On3 YouTube channel. We appreciate y'all enormously. 
I'm going to plug that one more time here during this, this prediction video. And I had one of y'all ask me, JD, why do you do the, the, the subscription plugs at such awkward times during your videos? Like we're halfway through the Colorado segment. And you're telling me to subscribe. I understand. The reason why we do that, we clip these afterwards. And a lot of people don't get to watch the live show. A lot of people are tuned in much later in their day just watching the one-off prediction video. So if we can tell them about the live show, we can tell them to subscribe and we get them there, then they have a better chance of joining us here. So I understand that it's a little bit of a like, ah, why are you doing that? Kind of awkward, kind of clanky. I get it, but just roll with us here. And uh, we're just going to try and keep growing this community, get everybody into the program. So we appreciate you all in advance for rocking with us there. All right, USC. Going to Colorado, 21 and a half point favorites. This is a noon kick on Fox. USC, man, did not look phenomenal defensively against Arizona State. Had some good showings, had some good things on tape. But even so, man, it kind of felt like Arizona State was able to catch them slipping just a little bit in Tempe. Now, to be fair, they emptied the clip. We'll talk more about that here in a second. USC, this is your chance to turn the volume down on what people are saying about your defense. That's kind of been the... Running storyline is USC's not playing defense. USC's not doing this. What happens when they play Utah? What happens when they play Oregon? Like Colorado, make no mistake about it. That is a good offense. They got their problems on the offensive line without a doubt. Shadur Sanders, I think he's for real. Xavier Worthy, Jimmy Horn Jr., I think they're for real. Dylan Edwards. Like they, they have a lot of very legit playmakers. And if USC isn't ready to roll in this game, they're going to score points. I also want to make sure we say this. Everyone is going to compare USC's performance in this game to the way that Oregon took care of business against, against Colorado. Like different situations, I understand USC's going to Boulder. Colorado went to Oregon. But this is going to be the common denominator now after this week that people say, well, USC scored this many points and did this against Colorado versus what Oregon did and beat Colorado by 30 plus. So just keep that in mind now. I promise you, USC, I think they have some gauge for that. And that's going to shape the conversation a lot for us going forward. Make sure you subscribe right here to the On3 YouTube channel. College football, only college football, all right? No agendas, nothing extra added into this whole show. Like, it's, it's just ball, all right? We appreciate every other show that exists that talks college football because it helps move this whole thing forward. But we just stick to ball around here, okay? Nothing extra. So we appreciate y'all being dialed in. Also appreciate y'all following me on Twitter as well as on Instagram at J.D. Pakel. So thank you in advance for doing that. Colorado, this is your opportunity to hit the reset button on your season. Because right now, there was a lot being said about your team after that game against Oregon, and the cinematic recap didn't really put them in the best light, and there's this thought that, well, Oregon exposed Colorado. Like, I don't know if we really agree with that. I think Colorado, quite frankly, is what we thought they were going into that game. Had issues on the offensive line and defensive line. Oregon took advantage of that. Oregon's further along than Colorado is. Like, let's not blow this thing out of proportion. Even so, a lot being said about Colorado, and if you are going to beat USC, think about what that would mean for them in terms of the narrative around Deion Sanders and around Colorado. Because that spread is what it is for a reason now. Three touchdowns. It wouldn't be the first time Colorado beat a three-touchdown spread. Just ask TCU about it. But if they beat a team like USC, I said it going into the Oregon game. If you split Oregon-USC, Go one and one in that series. There's no more conversation around do you believe, do you not believe. Like seeing is believing and beating USC to me would cultivate a lot of belief. And I think probably have a different conversation too around what happened in that Oregon game. If you beat USC, do you say, well, hey, Colorado, you know, maybe it just wasn't their day. 
Saw what they did against USC. They looked much better against USC than Oregon. Maybe if that version that showed up against USC shows up against Oregon, maybe Colorado has a chance. Maybe we, we kind of sold Colorado just a little bit too early. I'm not predicting it. We're about to predict it right here. But I'm just saying I think that's a, a very interesting situation to explore should Colorado win this game. Big for belief, big for energy around the team. And uh, that buzz that was palpable going into the Colorado State game for Colorado, uh, I think we'd see a lot more of that if they were to beat USC. Now, like I said, the spread is what it is, baby. 21 and a half. It's not rocket science telling you USC could beat Colorado. What has to happen for Colorado to win this football game? There are two non-negotiables in my mind. First one, penalty issues you saw against Oregon, 12 for over 100 yards. That cannot be the case in this game. Just there, There's no way around it. That, that cannot be the reality for Colorado in this football game. You cannot spot a team like USC 100 yards of field position. If you do that, you're going to have a very similar box score to what you had against Oregon. And I promise you, they will score 40, if not more. All right? Second piece of this. Colorado has to start fast. They have to start fast, especially offensively. Because the strength of this team is those playmakers on the outside. It is Shadour Sanders. And you cannot get behind against this Caleb Williams-led USC offense. You just can't. You're not coming back from 14-0 against USC. As good as Colorado is, if you spot them 10 yards in a 100-meter race, you're not catching up. Just, just the reality. So you have to start fast. Can't get behind with that Ferrari even offense that USC has. So if Colorado, not, not even jump ahead of USC. If they can just kind of trade scores in the first quarter. Let's say it's 14-14 in the first quarter, first half, whatever you want to put to it. Then Colorado has a chance to, one, kind of keep pace with USC. That's the first part. You're not behind, obviously. Second part of that, kind of rejuvenate some belief. I mean, Deion Sanders even said going into the Colorado State game, they had about 85% of the team that was believing in what they were doing. I wonder what that looks like after the Oregon game. If you start matching scores with USC and you have that quick start, rejuvenate some belief internally. I promise you that. So the chess game that I'm watching right here is between Sean Lewis and Alex Grinch. Sean Lewis, the offensive coordinator for Colorado. Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator for USC. USC has better personnel up front, but they, I mean, they got gamed up against Arizona State. Like, they were absolutely getting schemed up. Colorado can win one-on-one if they're able to earn slash create those one-on-one matchups. And Sean Lewis has called phenomenal games all season long for Colorado. I don't think the game against Oregon was the exception. I think you were just, quite frankly, out-personnelled up front. But how do you create those matchups? How do you create a one-on-one for Xavier Weaver or a one-on-one for Jimmy Horn Jr.? Tempo is one part of it. So getting getting small chunk plays, whether it's a 10-yard pass or maybe it's a 7-yard run with Dylan Edwards, getting those small plays that kind of create some rhythm for your offense and then getting to the line quickly and not allowing USC to check with the sideline and play some kind of complex coverage. You just got to line up and be man-to-man. Now, it may not be that case every single time, obviously. That's not how defenses work at the collegiate level, but you hear what I'm saying. As many man-to-man situations you can create for Colorado, that's what you need to attack. Because USC, they put it on tape last week against Arizona State, who does not have as good of playmakers as Colorado does. If you get one-on-one with them, you're going to have a chance. You're going to have a chance. So, Sean Lewis creating those matchups, being able to put Shadur Sanders in a position to expose those, 
that's going to be paramount to them starting fast and being able to score points against USC. It's there for the taking. I want to make this very clear. This USC defense, God bless them, they are not the outfit that you played against with Oregon last week. That's not disrespecting USC. That's just telling you what my eyes see. Now, the defensive personnel for USC, especially in the defensive line, I think they are better. I think they do have more up front than Oregon did. So that's going to be very, very important for them to be able to get Shudor Sanders on the move and be able to put him in positions where he can get the ball out quick. We can't have a situation where Shadur Sanders is taking a five-step drop, sitting back there waiting for someone to get open. Like these, these Colorado wide receivers, they have to separate early. I saw a lot of jam coverage from Oregon where Shadur Sanders takes a drop and he's looking around. Nobody's open because nobody's getting off the line. Oregon's just out physicaling them on the perimeter. So going fast helps probably create more situations where you don't have that jam coverage that USC could play. And just as a whole, allows Shadur Sanders rather to get rid of the ball quickly and not have to depend on that offensive line holding it down because it's not going to work if that's the case. Now for Alex Grinch, the defensive coordinator for USC, this is, this is going to be a, a very telling game for him in my opinion because we talked about it a lot this offseason. Like you went to the portal, you got some better pieces on the defensive side of the ball to where nobody is really questioning, do you have the guys for USC? I know what I just said about Oregon and their defense, but I'm talking about just as a whole for USC. You have the guys to be successful. What it comes down to me is schematically being able to put them in position to succeed and being dialed in, man. Because for Alex Grinch, man, if if they're not in position, that run game is going to do what Arizona State did last week. And I understand that Arizona State has a better offensive line than Colorado, but Colorado, I think, has more in that backfield with Dylan Edwards. If they're able to expose the inside zone that Arizona State was able to expose and they get something rolling up front, well, then Alex Grinch is going to have a really difficult time being able to kind of restructure that in-game, in my opinion, being able to kind of reset the game plan. That's going to be tough. And the other part of this, if you're not able to have your guys in position on the back end, they will expose you. Like we talked about with Colorado, if you're if you're not able to play their guys straight up, if you're not able to have everybody on the same page in the secondary, it doesn't take much for Shadur Sanders to be able to find that and expose that quickly. So I'm not saying this is the Alex Grinch put up or shut up kind of game, but I am saying this is the kind of situation where USC up front should dominate. And when they dominate up front, your secondary has to capitalize because that's going to force Shadur Sanders to make some downfield throws that could potentially favor your defense if they're in position. So going to be a very, very big game for Alex Grinch in that set, having his, uh, having his defense ready to roll in that situation. So here's the glaring issue for me when it comes to Colorado. Colorado has to do something in the run game defensively. Like there, there has to be something done, whether it's schematically, whether it's attitude-wise, whether it's personnel-wise, there has to be something done for them to stop the run. Because what I saw last week against Oregon, I'm not even talking about the box score. When I saw Oregon just routinely run power right, power left, and watch those Colorado linebackers, you can go look at for, you can go look at it for yourself on the YouTube cut up. There is zero interest from that Colorado linebacking group of going and meeting that pulling blocker. Just absolutely none. They wanted no part of playing power run. Now USC against Arizona State, they ran a fair amount of power. Marshawn Lloyd got downhill with bad intentions. I don't know what it is for Colorado. Maybe you put another safety in the box. 
maybe you try and get creative with putting blitzes into the power. Like, I, I don't know what you want to do if you're Charles Kelly, but there has to be something done to be able to put up against the run. Because if you can't, it's going to be another long afternoon. It's going to be another very long afternoon. Now, the other part of that, which is a compounding issue, for Colorado, even if you have some early success against the run, even if you're able to hold USC, let's call it 25 yards in the first half or so maybe it's the first quarter i don't know you have some success where you're able to stop the run to some degree you still have to deal with caleb williams and what this usc offense is built to do with lincoln rally they want to spread you out they want to go with some tempo as well and they want to create one-on-one matchups the key thing for usc they want to play in space why wouldn't you you got zachariah branch you got mario williams you got michael jackson Dorian Singer, like there, there's so many pieces for USC that thrive in space. And on the flip side of that, Colorado's defensive backs, Colorado's really second level of their defense, they've struggled in space all season long. And the, the finisher in my mind is you got Caleb Williams. So even if maybe you have that first play schemed up right and you're in position and okay, we got him, we're, we're, we're in the exact right defense for this play, Caleb Williams can run around back there, make some stuff happen. And it's tough to guard these wide receivers for USC for any length of time. But when you go from having to guard them for, for a two-second count to a four-second count, somebody's going to get open. There's going to be big plays to be had. I haven't even mentioned Brendan Rice just yet. So I think the USC defense has legit issues. I want to make that very clear. I think they have issues. What I saw against Arizona State was extremely concerning. It's one game. In October, they will really have to have a put-up-or-shut-up kind of game against Notre Dame. But if they don't bring it in this game, Colorado will score points. Now, the other thing I think, I think Colorado actually will score points. How many? That's kind of the, the major question, I suppose. But I think that's going to be something that we see from this offense. I, I don't think it's a situation where they just get shut out to a degree like they did against Colorado. They scored six points, but you hear what I'm saying? It was tough sledding for Colorado in that game. I think they have a little bit more rhythm offensively. But at the end of the day, man, I think USC has too much firepower. And I think the defensive front for USC will eventually get home enough against Shudor Sanders to keep that offense from matching pace with USC. The over-under in this game is right around 71. Feels like a lot of points. But I would not touch that 21.5 point spread against Colorado, even what we saw last week. I think USC wins this game 45-24. to 24. I think if you're USC, you come away from this game and say, all right, defense made enough plays, but like, hey, we got to – what was good enough for Colorado is not going to be good enough for Oregon, not going to be good enough for Notre Dame. For Colorado, that stress test we talk about for them, we go through another week of that sort of gets amplified because if you drop those two games in a row and you have 80 guys through the transfer portal that all just got there, that's going to be a very, very telling week after where, especially with, with so many new guys, like do we see them come together and say, okay, hey, we're all here. We're all here for one purpose. Let's get this thing figured out. Let's get rolling. That was a tough two-game stretch. Let's get back to what we want to do. Or is it a thing where hey, we all just got here. We don't have the history that maybe some other teams have together. Like, we all transferred for our own self-interest, which is fine. It's why you transfer for your own situation. But do we see that sort of start to pull them apart? I'm not insinuating anything. I'm just asking the question, if the game goes the way that I just predicted. So, 
Big game for USC. Big game for Colorado. Cannot wait to watch it. We're going to learn a lot about both those programs. And uh, again, man, for Colorado, two things can be true. What Deion Sanders has done to this point is the epitome of impressive. What they've done right now, the over-under win total was three and a half in Vegas. They're sitting at three. So we said it actually preseason. If Deion Sanders gets the team to a bowl game, like build the statue. Like we're kind of joking, but in a somewhat real way, not actually. Like this is a dude that has totally flipped a roster and got them to being competitive in his first year from a team that won one game a season ago. So don't, don't change the expectations for Colorado just because we saw them have success early in the season. We said it last live show, Dion's best days at Colorado, I wholeheartedly believe, are ahead of him. Once they get more continuity, once they recruit more from the high school level, once there's more things solidified there, the, the base is more solid, once that foundation is solid, Colorado, I think, is going to be a factor the rest of the way. So that's Colorado USC, and that's how we feel about Colorado. want to make sure we get that out there. Let's go to another game here. This is going to be enormously impactful. LSU at Ole Miss in Oxford. This is a game at 6 Eastern on ESPN. The line is somewhere around 2.5 or 3 favoring LSU on the road, mind you. LSU coming off a game where they took Arkansas to the wire in Baton Rouge at night. KJ Jefferson gave them issues. LSU found a way to get it done. This is a trajectory-setting game for LSU because if you win this game, you look at the path the rest of the way, and you definitely got to kind of walk the straight and narrow a little bit, but you start to think about that game in Tuscaloosa where you could roll in there with one loss. And that game could very well be for the SEC West. Think about that. For LSU now, or excuse me, for, for LSU, for, for Ole Miss, if you lose this game, the climb to Atlanta becomes very difficult. You have two SEC losses, and you've lost to the top two teams in the West, and that would be a thing where you start to look at Lane Kiffin and say, all right, hey, what are we doing here? Like, you sit down and kind of have that DTR, determine the relationship. Ole Miss, I mean, power to them. They don't want to be a team that just sits at third in the SEC West every year. They want to go and beat Alabama. They want to go and beat LSU. And with that being the expectation, the conversation around Lane Kiffin, like I just said, I don't know if the seat becomes hot. I think that even feels a little bit of a reach. But I do think that noise in Oxford, Mississippi cranks up a good bit. So we'll see what happens there. And this game will have a pretty sizable impact on how we're talking about him this time next week. Now, the big matchup for me, LSU's defense, especially in that second level, the linebackers, the Harold Perkins, the Weeks, like guys like that against these Ole Miss playmakers in space. Because Ole Miss, the way that they're designed offensively with Lane Kiffin and company, they're going to use tempo. That's the first part. But also they're going to do a lot pre-snap to try and create matchups to where they get their guys the ball in space. And the thing that worries me from LSU, that was a lot of what Arkansas did last week to you, and you didn't manage that great. Is Jackson Dart, KJ Jefferson, when it comes to running the football? No, but I promise you, he can hurt you with his legs. He will make that a factor if you're not in position. And Ole Miss has some guys that will hurt you in space. Dayton Wade, he's a beast. Jordan Watkins, he's a beast. They're guys that have very much so home run ability if you don't take advantage of things on your P's and Q's. And for LSU too, I mean, Brian Kelly talked about it in his press conference the other day. 
they were not necessarily extremely assignment sound. I don't think that'll continue week in to week out for LSU, but even so, man, like this is a team that will hurt you if you're not aligned for success and you don't know what you're doing with those pre-snap movements. And pre-snap movement as an offense, just as a whole, for what Ole Miss is going to do, serves two purposes. One, it helps the quarterback get a good gauge for what the coverage is for the defense. That's the first part. But the second piece is it kind of makes you hit the reset button if you're a defense because anytime the you know, receiver motions from one side to the other, you have to check, you have to communicate. And as you're doing that, it becomes more difficult to just play ball. Like it forces you to kind of think a little bit more, unfortunately. And when you're, when you're thinking on the football field, like things may be going wrong. You got to just know it. And LSU, as of last week, did not prove that they were in sync enough to just know it and just play football. They got great athletes. They got great personnel. But if they can't capitalize on their opportunities defensively and they don't play that pre-snap motion right, going to be a long afternoon. For reasons I just said, Ole Miss has the guys to hurt you. Now, the other matchup I'm watching this game, Jaden Daniels, obviously the LSU quarterback, against Sunterine Perkins, linebacker for Ole Miss. Sunterine Perkins, a guy we were really high on here at On3. He's a freshman playing for Ole Miss. And he was used last week in large part to spy Jalen Milrow, the quarterback of Alabama. Now, Jalen Milrow and Jaden Daniels, similar skill set in the sense that they're both really good at running the football. Ole Miss understood that and said, Sunterine, you're a really good athlete. We want you to just spy him and be responsible for him. So if he runs left, you run left. If he goes to the bench and gets a drink of water, you go with him. Kind of that sentiment. And that's going to be crucial for this game because LSU's offense in every way is built on running the football. But when they really get rolling, when they're really dangerous, is when they're multiple running the football. And what I mean by that is that zone read option gets going and you don't know if Logan Diggs has it. You don't know if Jaden Daniels has it because they have success with both of those. And success with Jaden Daniels running the football starts with how Sunterreen Perkins is able to play him because I think that he will be assigned to Jaden Daniels if I had to guess right now. So if that run game gets going, well, then the whole thing kind of starts to roll downhill, right? Then the safeties have to figure out what they're doing. You have to be a little bit more aggressive on the back end and run support. And then you get one-on-one matchups for this LSU receiving core. Credit Jaden Daniels, credit LSU, man. That was the question going into the season. Can they be vertical throwing the football? Will he unhitch the wagon? Will he, will he take shots deep and trust his guys? Last couple of weeks against Mississippi State and Arkansas, Jaden Daniels has uncorked it. Brian Thomas, absolute stud. Made some huge plays against Arkansas. He's getting man-to-man coverage. He's running by his defender, throwing the hand up Randy Moss style, saying, feed me. And Jaden Daniels, credit to him, he fed him. Malik Neighbors, same deal. If you don't want to honor him with a safety, or if you can't honor him with the safety because of how LSU runs the football, big plays and good things are going to happen for the Tigers. So, to explore the other side of that scenario, let's say Sunterine Perkins is able to play Jaden Daniels, and you just feel confident as Pete Golding saying, hey, we know that our guy is going to take care of your guy. Well, then you can pay more attention to just the pure running back run part of LSU's offense. And if you feel good about that, well, then the secondary, they get to be more conservative and pay better attention to the playmakers of LSU. So this whole thing kind of works together in, in, uh, in harmony for how this thing could shake out for both sides of that equation. Now, the big thing for LSU defensively, can they get after Jackson Dart? We talked about playing in space. We talked about pre-snap movement. That's going to be paramount. Don't get it twisted. But I think Jackson Dart 
deserves a ton of credit for the way that he's elevated his game within Lane Kiffin's offense. Like, he is now a quarterback that you cannot just sit back and say, Jackson Dart beat us. Like, maybe that's the way you want to live because Quinshawn Judkins is one of the best backs in the country, especially when he's healthy. But for Jackson Dart, like, if you just want to sit back and play, I think he's going to pick you apart. And so I think much like last year, this is a game where we have to see Harold Perkins cut it loose a little bit. Like, I understand LSU wants to kind of manage him and they want to think about his future in the NFL, but like, this is a game where you have to apply pressure to Jackson Dart. You have to make him see ghosts. You have to rattle him. You have to get after him in some way, shape, or form. Because the secondary for LSU is an issue. It is. Like, you can't just play honest with them and expect to win. We saw that against Arkansas, too. Even with a touchdown that got called back, LSU is not great one-on-one. It's not the monsters that Florida State had against you in, in week one of the season. But still, man, Ole Miss has the playmakers to where if you let Jackson Dart play his game and Ole Miss run their offense and you just kind of want to play not to lose defensively, you're going to get exposed. You're not going to win those matchups as consistently as you need to to win this football game on the road. So again, Harold Perkins, I think he's the key in this one. I think you got to cut him loose. I think you got to scheme it up for him defensively and allow him to do what he does and be special. It might be a game where you need a, a game-breaking force fumble from Harold Perkins. It might be a game where you need this defense to find a way to force a turnover or two to win because I think Ole Miss is that good offensively. Now, I think the LSU offense has found a new gear. I really do. I think Jaden Daniels elevating his game from last year to this year. Last year, you were hoping for some things when the LSU had the football. You were hoping they could run the football effectively and maybe get a couple of passes here and there. This year, when LSU gets the football and Jaden Daniels drops back to pass, you're like, oh boy, y'all about to find out right now. Y'all have messed around and found out. Like That's kind of the feel with what LSU's been able to do the last two weeks. You have a new sense of confidence in this offense with Mike Denbrock and Jaden Daniels taking the next step. I think the defense for LSU is going to be timely. When I say timely, I don't mean you wreak havoc the whole game. I don't mean that you force three turnovers and you force Jackson Dart to just have a horrible day at the office. I think Ole Miss is going to get theirs. I think they're going to score some points. I think playing at home helps them. I think Lane Kiffin is one of the best offensive minds in college football. I think they do get theirs to a degree. But I think in the fourth quarter, I think on a critical fourth down, you're able to make the plays required to allow you to win this football game. So I think the final score, close close hard fought back and forth but I think LSU wins this football game 31 27 so we like LSU to win we like LSU to cover again that conversation around Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin becomes a little less comfortable I'm not buying the hot seat talk just yet but I do think you kind of get a little bit more serious and say okay what are we what are we gonna do here huh what 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 is the reality for us what is our ceiling with Lane Kiffin as our head coach not hot seat talk But there is some pressure talk there, in my opinion. I think for LSU, right back on track. That game against Florida State, you you buried the tape a couple weeks ago. This game hopefully makes you feel differently and forget about that one if you're an LSU Tiger fan. That's the way you'd like to feel coming out of this game. So enormous impact for the SEC West in that one. High stakes. And that's going to really shape the, the race in the SEC and where things stand when LSU goes to play Alabama absolute anarchy in that conference man you gotta love it let's let's stay in that conference now if everyone could like the video and subscribe to the channel we would appreciate that greatly thank you in advance for that south carolina going to tennessee tennessee a 12 and a half point favorite 7 30 eastern on the sec network 
We talked about it in the opening for this live show. Tennessee's had this one circled. They've had it circled. They remember what happened last year in Columbia. They remember Spencer Rattler going into road to glory mode and just dashing their college football playoff hopes and how electric that atmosphere had to have been if you're a South Carolina fan. They've had this one circled. You talk to everybody in the Tennessee fan base and they're like, hey man, when the schedule came out, this one was highlighted. This one was starred. Asterisks all over it. Like Josh Heupel and company, they want this one. Right? They want this one. So they're going to have a chance to go get it now at the crib at night. Expect it to be absolutely wild environment in Neyland Stadium. Make sure you subscribe right here. College football, only college football, nothing else. We love this game. You love this game. Tennessee fans, South Carolina fans, y'all are all about this game. So if you have not yet subscribed, we would love to have you a part of this. We appreciate you in advance. Also, follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at JD Piquel. So thank you in advance for that. South Carolina now, this kind of win would kind of get you rolling, right? Like the game against North Carolina, you still have concerns about your offensive line even from that game, but you, your offense looked good at times and you turned Drake May over a couple of times. But that win against Mississippi State last week, I thought looked like a new South Carolina football team. Now you got issues in the secondary. We'll talk about that. But we saw a run game show up for South Carolina. We saw a run-stopping defense show up for South Carolina. So does that continue in this game? We'll see. But this is the kind of game that I think could really give them kind of a shot of adrenaline and kind of re, uh, re-energize their season in a sense. Not to say that they're down and out by any stretch of the imagination, but for South Carolina, how differently would you view your football team and where you can go in 2023 if you win this one in Neyland at night? Now, how do you do it? I think a big part of this is going to be the South Carolina secondary against Joe Milton. And I say against Joe Milton, not against the Tennessee wide receivers, because quite frankly, I think the Tennessee wide receivers are watching that tape from last week and watching Will Rogers throw the ball all around the yard and saying, oh yeah, uh, we, we can win outside. We can win outside, but are we going to get the football? That's going to be the big question. Joe Milton, now this is the ultimate statement game for him to be dialed in. Because if he's dialed in, we might see Tennessee of last year. We might see them score 50 points. We might see them put up ridiculous passing numbers. It's still built to run the football as this Tennessee offense. But I'm telling you, there's going to be big plays to be had. Tennessee has the receivers to win the matchups. If Joe Milton's not dialed in, though, things get kind of interesting. Because I happen to believe what we've seen from South Carolina offensively, I think that's real. I think what they did against Georgia is real. What they did against Mississippi State, that's real. And if Tennessee doesn't get it rolling offensively, I think South Carolina is going to have a pretty good opportunity to score some points. I don't think it'll be a situation where you can kind of just sit back for a quarter and a half. Defense will figure it out. you got to just eventually get your footing. I think it'll be like ready, go, set kind of game for, for Tennessee with the kind of pressure South Carolina will apply offensively. Now, the other part of that, though, is South Carolina being able to beat the Tennessee pressure? And the matchup I have for this one is Spencer Rattler and Xavier Leggett against this Tennessee pressure. Because we talked about it earlier in this breakdown, man. Like, South Carolina's offense, the offensive line at least, is, is very suspect, very questionable. They are giving up a sack rate of 13%. Y'all, 13% of the snaps, they are giving up a sack. How, how, how difficult must that be to be Spencer Rattler these days, man? He's playing some of his best football, and he's got like a Mississippi and a half count to be able to find an open receiver. 
credit Dow Loggins for the way they've schemed it up for him the last couple of weeks and tried to get the ball out of his hands quickly. Tennessee, they're going to, one, attack Spencer Rattler because that's how the defense is built. Two, they're going to test that offensive line of, of South Carolina. Like, they're going to make sure they force the issue early and often. So the test then becomes... Is Spencer Rattler able to, one, ID that pressure, two, know where he's going with the football right away, and three, this is crucial, can Xavier Leggett win early? And when I say win early, can he win early enough in the play to where he's an option to catch it for Spencer Rattler? Because we've seen, if he gets the football in his hands, he's always a liability to take the distance. Like, he is always a home run threat for South Carolina. The trick, though, can he, again, win early, and, and can Spencer Rattler find a way to get it to him quickly enough before that Tennessee defensive line pressure gets there? They may not have to dial it up. It might just be, hey, we're rushing with four. Good luck kind of thing for Tennessee and South Carolina. Like, that might be the way they get to Spencer Rattler. And if they get to Spencer Rattler, a couple of things become available to you if you're Tennessee. One, the obvious part is the likelihood for mistakes for the South Carolina offense goes way up. Like, we're probably seeing Spencer Rattler put the ball in jeopardy more. We're probably having more opportunities to create turnovers for Tennessee. Like, that's a big part. The other part of it, at the very least, if you get home, you force a third and 15, third and 20, third and whatever. There's not many plays for third and whatever in your your playbook if you're an offense. Like, as good a coordinator as Dow Loggins is, as good a quarterback I think Spencer Rattler has played himself into, you don't have many remedies for that kind of situation so at that point Tennessee can play back a little bit more conservatively and then have going back to what I said the chance to create more turnovers and at the very least be able to get your offense back on the field and start to put pressure on the South Carolina side of things so even with the the emphasis on the quarterbacks in this game because make no mistake like that is the way this game is going to go as Joe Milton goes as Spencer Rattler goes this game will go I think it may come down to the line of scrimmage like this might be a game where the quarterbacks both put up big numbers and it's close going into the fourth quarter and Tennessee gets the ball with, let's say, four minutes left to go. It may be on Tennessee if they're up, let's say, three points at that point to be able to run the football, ride the offensive line, which you hope you're healthy in this game. You hope you have all your guys in this game to be able to give your best effort on the offensive line and to be able to take the air out of the game and take a knee and have that be the way the game finishes, not even give South Carolina another chance. For South Carolina, on the same side of things, like Mario Anderson, the way he ran the football last week gives you a lot of concern for balance within this offense. I'm not even looking for balance this week. I'm just looking for, can you find a way to be timely and put the game on ice when that opportunity presents itself? Because the thing you'd want to avoid is you got three minutes to go. It's South Carolina's ball, and you pick up three yards. Tennessee's able to just call a timeout, get the ball back. And that's how you end up losing the game. I think the timeliness of the offensive and defensive line play for both sides is going to be a deciding factor. Is it the headliner? Maybe not. But I think that is going to ultimately be what determines the outcome of this game, especially late. So I think Spencer Rattler, I think he does get his. Like, I think what we've seen from him has been very, very real. I don't think we see a Spencer Rattler fall-off game where he throws three picks and, and just kind of reverts back to Spencer Rattler of old I think what we see is is him go out and put pressure on this Tennessee defense I also think this is the game where Joe Milton Tennessee kind of put their foot in the ground and decide what they're going to be for the rest of the season because if there's ever a game where it feels personal even if it's not personal 
from the outside looking in. It's personal, I think, for Tennessee and how that game went last year. And I think they respond in a very real way. I think Joe Milton silences a lot of critics in this game. And I just ultimately think there's more ways for Tennessee to win this football game. I think they have more on the offensive line. I think that defense is going to feel a little bit disrespected by what happened last year. And I think they answer the call to action. So I think it's high scoring. I think it does go into the fourth quarter. And I think Tennessee ends up finding a way to win inside of an electric Neyland Stadium. Just absolutely wild atmosphere. Final score, Vols 37, South Carolina 34. I think Josh Heupel and this team kind of get some momentum from this game and get things rolling. And this could kind of be the game for Tennessee where the light bulb comes on and we see them look how I think a lot of people talked about them looking going into the season. For South Carolina, I don't think this is a game where you just, you know, have the wheels fall off. But I do think this is a game where you kind of look in the mirror and say, okay, why do we keep coming up short the way that we do? What, what has to be fixed for us to get over the hump against teams like this in spots like that. Beat them last year, but last year it was because Tennessee had issues defensively and you were taking advantage of it and just taking it for all it's worth. How do we consistently be a more well-rounded football team to play teams like that? I think that could be the storylines coming out of that game. We're not taking Tennessee to cover there. I'll tell you what, that's going to be a good one, man. That's going to be a good one. I'll say this too. Uh, There is a lot of consideration right now for games to go to this Saturday. We may or may not be on the road, but get at me on Twitter, get at me on Instagram, at JD Pacone. Let me know where y'all want to see us. All of those games I was just talking about, we are considering USC Colorado, just logistically a little bit tricky to get to, but we're considering those games, also considering just attacking the the day from the Sony Stadium. But let me know where y'all want us to be at. Let me know if you want to see us somewhere. And uh, we will, of course, let y'all know if and when we are going somewhere. So thank you in advance for that. Get in the chat right now. Let me know y'all's thoughts, questions, concerns as it pertains to week five of the college football season. Let, let us know your picks. We're about to be joined here by Nick Brake, the keeper of the queue. Before we do that, though, I want to talk to y'all a little bit about Roback. Because Roback is an operation that we have trusted here for a long time. Since the, the hard count's inception, really, since we were in Waco, Texas, we have been a Roback show. And, and not I'm not talking about from a sponsorship standpoint. I just mean, like, this is a, a company that has rode with us for a long time in regards to sending gear and just supporting the the show as a whole and having a relationship. So we love Roback and here's the deal. Roback, I wear them all the time for a reason. Best polos on the market. If you need a polo to last you the entire day on a hot game day, a lot of y'all now noon kicks coming up. My people going to this Florida, Kentucky game need a polo to last you the entirety of the day. Mark Stoops put out the call to action. Going to be a long day. The moisture-wicking technology and four-way stretch makes it easy to move while keeping you feeling fresh. Roback's everyday shorts are perfect pairing as well. They are comfortable, have an elastic waistband, great fabric that is made to stretch. Roback has also been proudly leading the new NIL charge, having signed partnerships with college stars Kid Klubnik, Kyle McCord, whose stock is going up, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow, and Audric Estimate, they have all teamed up with the legendary coach, or excuse me, they have also teamed up with the legendary Coach O. Use the code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off all new customers through the end of this week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off on all performance polos, shorts, and more with code JD. Just in time for week five of the college football season. Make sure to check them out at Roback.com. Good people at Roback. Great brand, great product, so we appreciate them bringing the hard count to y'all today. All right, now, to do a little bit of college football therapy, 
hear y'all's concerns, y'all's thoughts, y'all's takes. Can't be the people show. Can't, can't claim you're the people show if you don't involve the people into the show. So with that being said, we're going to involve y'all right now with the people's producer of the show, Nick Heavy Lifter Break. Nick, what's going on, baby? How we doing? What's up, JD? We got a lot of questions. I love it. Um, we've got someone, Terminator98 says, hashtag SJD to come to Knoxville. Okay. It's going to be an insane game. JD can go to Knoxville. That's not too far, man. Dude, that would be... That's on the list, man. And it's on the list. And if not this week, it's definitely on the list for uh, for this season period. But this, I mean, I that we're thinking about it. We're thinking we're thinking very very hard about that. We'll take that into consideration. That's good stuff. Uh, Mark Thomas Walker says, JD, why don't you come to Florida State versus bye week? Should be electric. Yeah, <laughs> they I won't think lose. they will. Uh, I like their odds in that one. What, what do you say? I think they're going to cover. I think they cover. I do think they win as well. Man, maybe if, we predict that tomorrow's show. If it was a team that I'd have the luck to support, that'd be the only week they don't lose. Uh, don't root for a lot of great sports teams. JD, uh, we'll get to the questions. Um, I'm trying to find some. A lot of comments out here today. So, I love uh, it. JD That's might have stuff, time to, to plug the like button. It's over 100. Yeah, man. Hey, some time. huge shout out to y'all. Again, we said it earlier in the show. This operation doesn't get into hype videos or get into any other things from creative teams with, with other college football programs if y'all don't push it forward so y'all liking the show y'all subscribing to the channel y'all telling friends and bringing them here to subscribe like that's that's all y'all and we appreciate that tremendously so thank you so much for doing that and for being a part of this man again we're live tuesday wednesday and thursday so make sure you're dialed in tomorrow as well good crowd today though nick good yeah. crowd over 130 likes appreciate absolutely um rocky top tom's gonna start us out today for a hashtag tell jd unless tennessee's o-line and defense decide to finally show up carolina will win in neyland by a lot we have many more problems this year than last especially on defense there's always hope but what do you think you don't think, think that fair. you said tennessee win but i JD? think tennessee wins but i think what rocky top tom is saying is is on the money man like South Carolina, too, I think is a better team than last year. Like, Juice Wells is dinged up, but Xavier Leggett has been balling. Like, we, we talked to Wes Mitchell yesterday on the roundtable from, from Gamecock Central, and he's like, listen, man, Xavier Leggett may have played his way into, like, a top three-round NFL draft pick, and the way that he's playing right now, that would concern me a lot if I'm a Tennessee fan. So, I think what he's saying is absolutely right. They have to figure it out on the offensive and defensive line and be able to be solid enough to allow Joe Milton to dial it in downfield. And I think that really is the key. If Joe Milton can be dialed in, there's going to be a lot of home runs for the taking, just based on what we saw against Mississippi State for South Carolina. So that that's going to be crucial. But also, can't throw the football if you're getting tackled and pressured like he was against Florida. So I don't think South Carolina is going to bring the same problems Florida did for them defensively. But even so, like it comes down to Joe Milton hitting the open shot in the deep game as well as the intermediate game. We saw them miss a lot in those... 10 to 15 yard pass range like they, they got to be got to be uh on their p's and q's nick without a doubt okay jd good um next question i had it and i've lost it um You're so in the meantime i'll ask this one craig jd and all sec fans i'm curious craig remembers a nebraska fan is the polo and khaki shorts just a southern game day thing Ooh. That's a good question. So I, I didn't go to school in the South, Nick, but I did see a fair amount of that at Baylor mm-hmm. whenever I went there for like a minute and a half for like half a semester of grad school. You might have a better gauge than me on this, being at Western Kentucky. And I know you were working a lot of game days, but like yeah. polo and khakis, 
feels kind of standard across the board, but also I think you see the Northeast too. Like, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts here? Well, the polo and khaki shorts, I feel like that's a very Southern. Polo and khaki shorts. Yeah, that, that is, that is pretty Southern. What, what do they do in the Northeast? What would you say? Like sweats? It gets pretty cold too too cold, man. Polo and jeans, heavy coat, jersey, big Jersey culture too. So I'll ask, I'll ask Craig since he's in Nebraska, what do people wear? to game days in Nebraska. Hmm. Um, that's that's what I want to know now. Uh, next go. question, though. Travis Foster, J.D., is there a national championship caliber quarterback in the SEC this season? And if so, who? I think Jaden Daniels is national championship caliber quarterback, and I think he's shown that the last couple of weeks. Um, I think Carson Beck has all the tools to be a national championship caliber quarterback. Um, still kind of wait and see mode for me on Jalen Milrow. I don't think it relies on him to be the national championship winning quarterback. I just think Bama's formula is going to be let's run the football and play good defense and not have it be a thing where he has to throw for 300 like Bryce Young did last year. So to answer the question directly, like, yeah, I absolutely think there is. And I think Jaden Daniels right now for my money has to be the best quarterback with the team with the best chance to compete for the college football playoff. That Florida State loss it's going to sit funny with a lot of people for a while, and I do not blame them one bit if that's kind of the issue with, with you when it comes to LSU and their playoff resume. But I think as we get further and further into the season, if they beat Ole Miss and they beat Bama, and if they win the SEC, like at that point, a one-loss LSU is in. So I think Jaden Daniels, uh, to answer that question, is national title caliber. And uh, the last couple of weeks, man, with, the, with what he's done throwing the football down the field, Nick, like he is just slinging the pill. All over the place, man. His receivers have made him look good. Brian Thomas and Malik Neighbors both been eating greedy last couple of weeks. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with uh, Jaden Daniels there. Man, we've got a commenter, Jay Floyo 11 Very mad that I have not asked this question yet. I'm getting to it. It's just kind of a very obvious question. He wants to know, is Brian Kelly going to get fired if they lose this weekend? What kind of question uh, is that, man? No. He's not going to get fired? No, he's not getting fired. We, we appreciate the uh, the passion as always, but yeah. that, uh, that is just not going to happen. Not going to happen. We appreciate that, though. We appreciate the engagement. We appreciate you being dialed Absolutely. in. Absolutely. I like every comment. Don't Brian, unsubscribe, yeah, though, man. I got just, to it. There's just 0% chance <laughs> to happen, but we love it. Yeah, absolutely. JD, what would have to happen for Brian Kelly to get fired this year? Oh, my gosh. Anything? Like, N- there, there is nothing on the field that could happen. That would allow him to get fired. Yeah, that's they true. They could lose every single game the rest of the way, and he would still be the head coach at LSU. And that's on the field. Off the field, we can't predict anything like that. Like, that's just not even close to our jurisdiction, so we won't even touch that. On the field, nothing that can happen that will keep Brian Kelly from being the head coach at LSU in 2024. Absolutely. You know? uh, J.D., a lot of people asking about the Tennessee pick. Um, a lot of Vols fans don't feel very good about your pick. Um, asking you, did you watch the game against Florida? Um <laughs> Uh, Are they a good football team, JD? I think so. So here's the the thing with what happened against Florida. Florida, one, was in the swamp. Two, Tennessee did not play well up front. And the Florida defensive line, I think, really exposed a lot of what Tennessee had. The defensive line you play against this coming week with South Carolina is going to be very different than what you saw against Florida, just from a personnel standpoint. Like, I don't think the size will be on, on par. I don't think the exotic nature of the defense will be on par like it's going to be a much easier task defensively no shade to South Carolina it really is going to come down to execution now the thing that you're probably saying is well JD we next cute grade against Florida either like there were plays to be made and we just missed them that's true and that's kind of what we talked about with our pick like we think that Tennessee 
is going to learn from that Florida loss and kind of be more dialed in and a little bit more sound fundamentally and kind of take the layups and get the layups rather. But yeah, if, if you don't, you know, execute the plays that are there, I mean, in any football game, you're going to lose. So we still feel good about Tennessee. And obviously, as we do every single Sunday, if we're wrong, we'll come in here. We'll talk about it. We'll admit that we were wrong and we'll talk about why we were wrong and talk about why we thought what we did and, and why what we thought didn't come true. But uh, I feel confident picking Tennessee. Also, Vegas has Tennessee as a 12 and a half point favorite. So if there's any confidence to be taken from someone else, take it from Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, yeah. I guess devil's advocate there. Tennessee, I believe, was a double-digit favorite in this game last year as well. So, why they play the games? It's why they play the games, Nick. Absolutely. Um, JD, so I was going to transition away from this game because we're asking a lot of questions. Jesse was asking, uh, do you think Tennessee even deserves to be ranked? I mean, if they beat South Carolina, they're going to be ranked still, but... Sure. Yeah, um, a lot of people asking about Rattler. Casey, the creator, was wanting to know if uh, Rattler could be in the Heisman talk if he plays a good game. Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my, my concern is just the, the Heisman is such a team award. Yes. As much as it's given to one player, like your team has to be in that college football playoff mix or that conference title mix. I don't know if South Carolina is going to be there. Now, should Spencer Rattler get some more love for the Heisman? If it mm-hmm. is literally given to the best player in the country, I think there's a conversation to be made. I'm not saying he's the best player in the country. I'm saying guys like Caleb Williams would probably be in front of him in my mind. I think Michael Penix Jr. is in front of him in my mind. I think Bo Nix is in front of him in my mind. I mean, we had uh, someone on our staff put Cam Ward in that conversation. That's a fair pick. Jordan Travis. Like, there's a lot of other guys ahead of Spencer Rattler in my mind, a lot of other teams ahead of South Carolina right now. So that's a a very, very uphill battle. But, I mean, if you want to make a statement, you're going to have a a big platform, I think, against Tennessee and make a lot of noise if you – put up numbers against that Tennessee defense and put up numbers in Neyland Stadium. So a lot of ball to be played, but I, I'm not I'm not putting Spencer Rattler on my Heisman hot board at this point, Nick. Absolutely. Uh, one more question. Let's do it, brother. You're okay. in my mind. One more question. Let's do it. And before I get to that, Connor's trying to get you to tell people in the chat to stop talking. Man, they can say what they want, Connor. Um, but anyway, our final question of the day. Uh, J.D., are Texas on upset alert this weekend? You said it last week. Every game they play in the farewell tour is kind of like the other team's Super Bowl. Is this a week that they could potentially lose? Hey, Kansas, ranked matchup. We're actually going to predict this game tomorrow on this show. So tomorrow we got Notre Dame-Duke for you for our prediction. We got Georgia-Auburn for our prediction. We got, uh, like I just said, Kansas-Texas for our prediction. We may even get to A&M Arkansas. Like there is a very, very deep slate, a lot of games to break down and predict. So make sure you come back tomorrow and we'll talk them all through with you. But I think for Texas, I don't even know if I'd call it upset alert. Like Kansas is just straight up a good football team. Kansas is a top 25 ranked football team. So if they do beat you, I think the path that you see is is pretty clear. Like, hey, Jalen Daniels probably was phenomenal on the ground. Texas probably had issues defensively being able to account for what he was doing in the past game, and they just had that defense off balance, and the Texas offense had some uncharacteristic things going. Now it's in Austin, so you feel a lot better about your chances with it being at the home instead of at Lawrence, but uh, upset alert feels like a a funny label to put to it. I just think Kansas is good at football, and I think it's going to be a great game, and I know Vegas, I think, has this right around, I want to say it's two scores in favor of Texas, but I think I think Kansas is just straight up a good team, and, and they're going to give Texas all they can handle. And uh, I can't wait to watch it and predict it and break it down. So we'll, we'll give you our pick for that one tomorrow. But it would not be, in my mind, a, a upset um, if Kansas were to get it done in Austin. But it would be surprising. I'll say that much. 
Hey, Nick, I appreciate you, brother. Appreciate Absolutely. you getting it done today, man. Being, yeah. Just holding down the chat, producing, getting questions, man. You're a, a Swiss Army knife and uh, appreciate all you do for the program, man. Absolutely. And if I didn't get to your question, um, come back tomorrow, ask it again, or have or do it Joe Floyd did today and uh, keep asking it. Very good. There we go, man. Persistence pays. Yep. Appreciate y'all in the chat, man. Just absolutely getting after today. Appreciate everybody that's liked the video and subscribed. Just saw one of y'all in the chat say you're a new subscriber. Hey, welcome to the show. We're glad to have you here. We understand a lot of y'all are stumbling upon this as college football season ramps up. You found your home. It's college football. It's only college football. We're not going to bombard you with other things that don't have to do with this game, not other agendas or other things that we care about that we want you to care about. Like, it's college football. It's only college football. At the end of the day, fall Saturdays are the greatest thing that has ever been created on this earth. We celebrate them accordingly. We celebrate them every single day on this channel, and we celebrate them live in living color, 11 a.m. Eastern, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now, I'm going to say this as well. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter, at JD Piquel, for a couple of reasons. One, when we're off the air, that is our community we go to, to hear from y'all, to answer questions, to kind of get a pulse of the program of what y'all want to hear and talk about and, and, and have on this show. So that's the first part. The other part, we do question and answer on Fridays on my Instagram, and we give out our gambling picks uh, as well on Fridays via a post against the suits. Now, I'll just say this. We're kind of heating up right now. If you've tailed us the last couple of weeks, we went eight and two, not counting the against your own risk picks. So if you want to tail us there, great. You want to fade us there, great. But that's where you can find the gambling picks. We don't give them out on this live show because quite frankly, not a lot of y'all, not the majority of y'all at least care about it. So if you care about gambling, care about where we lean on those picks, our best bets are always on my Instagram at JD Piquel. And the conversation continues as well on my Twitter page, X page, whatever you want to call it, at JD Piquel as well. Hey, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all, man. I'm JD Piquel. Back on the air tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.